Great to be here with you. My name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and excited to see what God will do this morning as we dig into his word. But let's, let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would speak into our hearts and minds today, Lord, as we look into scripture, as we want to know what does it really mean to be saved, what does it really mean to have confidence in our relationship with you, God. I pray, Lord, that that you, through your spirit, would speak into our hearts today and to give us that confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are talking about how can we have confidence in our relationship with Jesus? How can we know? How can we trust? How can we have assurance of our salvation, of our faith? And so as we do that, we, we want to say that we are open to doubt. We are open to questions. We know that there are those seasons in our life where we have those questions, we have those doubts. But we also want to say that we can have a life that is something more than a life of doubt and a life of worry and a life of anxiety when it comes to our relationship with Christ. And that we can have confidence in that. We can have confidence to overcome. And, you know, it's like if you think about a relationship with another human being person. And maybe that's, you know, a, a marriage relationship or a very, you know, this a kind of a dating relationship or this kind of love, right? When we would think about that, if that relationship was constantly having you asking questions like, is this going to last? You know, can I trust this person? Is this the right person? Am I really committed to them? I don't know. You know, if it's constantly with that, that's not a relationship at its best, right? That's not a relationship that's healthy and strong. And so again, we know that there are seasons in our faith relationship where we do have doubts and we do have questions, but we want to propose that there is something more. There is something better that God has for us than a life that is full of anxiety and a life that is full of worry and doubt. And so we want to open ourselves up to the fact that that's not the way that it's supposed to be. That with this true life, real love sermon, the, or series, the only way for us to have that true life in Christ and a love that is real with the Lord is through Jesus Christ alone. That it is faith in him, for the grace of Jesus Christ alone. That is what we must depend on and rely on, and we are called to do good works after that, but it is the order of that that matters, and it matters a lot, okay? It is very important. This is going to be a sermon today that might be foundational for some of you. It might be a very good reminder for all of us, and there might be some of you in this room today, as I have met even people in these last recent weeks at Calvary Church who've been here for a long time that still really just want to think that if I'm a good person and I'm nice and I do good things, why should I not go to heaven? How am I not saved? But I want to talk about the importance of Jesus and Jesus alone and that we are a church that stands on that, right? That is foundational. Yeah, amen. That is foundational to who we are. So, if you would please then open your Bibles to 1 John 5, 1 through 12. If you haven't already, you've got notes 
in the, in the bulletin there you can follow along with. But First uh, John 5, it is almost to the very back of your Bibles, right before the book of Revelation. And we're just going to read through this whole text now as we get into it. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now that part gets a little weird, and I'm going to explain it later, okay? So just hold on to that. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit, uh, who te- uh, blah, 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 because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son." And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And I'll read one more. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Life. All right, big, rich passage of scripture that gives us so much depth of truth of what our life in Christ is all about. These foundational things that we must stand on as followers of Jesus, that we can have confidence, we can overcome. But do we overcome by our good works? Do we overcome by being kind people? Do we overcome by being baptized tonight at the beach? Do we overcome by taking communion or giving money or serving the poor or sharing our faith? No, okay? By no means, as the scripture would say. We do not have victory over sin because we do those things. We have victory over sin and we overcome by faith in the truth of who Jesus, and in that alone. The rest must come, and it will come, but we will get there as we go through this. So we overcome by faith in the truth of Jesus. And this scripture takes us through some essentials of what that belief looks like. And again, I feel like I'm kind of speaking emphatically, and I am for a reason, you know. This is important. This is important for us to not get wrong. Because I think much of the world is getting this wrong in a lot of different ways. And again, some of it's through just doing whatever you want and kind of this like loose living in some way. But then some of that's just through kindness or acts of service or whatever that might be. That none of that saves. That we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that. That Jesus is the Son of God. 
of God. And if you don't believe something, there comes a point where you can't choose to believe something that you don't believe, or you can't say that you believe something that you don't believe. There are many who would say they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and rose again, but they don't really believe it. And I think in their heart, I like, that's why I like what Romans 10, 9 says, how it says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's a sense of belief that isn't just a decision, but it's something that's deep within you. Because I think a lot of people might say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't. And that's why you have uh, some discrepancy, I think, with what you might see in many people in where their life is zero display of that. We all have difficulty. We all still sin. But where there's a life of, uh, there's no reflection of Christ in someone's life. And I think a lot of people are sort of manipulated to say they believe in Jesus. Or they are, I don't know, they, they, they're making it up in their head because they want to sort of fit into something, maybe. I, I don't know what it could be exactly. But we know, too, that Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I love the way it spells it out, and I love the way it gives us the order, okay? For by grace you have been saved. It is grace, the grace of God that begins this. You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast, Okay, so this is not something that we can do, that we can earn, right? But so that no one can boast, it's a gift. We receive this gift. It's a wonderful gift. And we receive it, thankfully, gratefully. But then we remember, after that, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So don't let anybody tell you that works don't matter. Works matter a lot, right? But it's the order of things that we're going to really hammer on today. Because we are created to then do good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right, so we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we must believe, sorry, uh, we must believe that Jesus died a physical death. We must believe that Jesus came to this earth, he lived and died a physical death. Remembering here again that kind of the big point of all of 1 John is that these folks that we've called the secessionists or pre-Gnostics, these folks that said, no, Jesus did not come in the flesh. He could not because flesh is evil. So they did not believe in the physical death of Jesus, that Jesus did not die. So that's a core belief. We believe that Jesus died a physical death. So that's where you got all of that stress on that. Now you've got this part in there that as you're reading it, it has one of those Kind of feels like an odd little section there about the water and the blood and the spirit. And you're kind of like, what are you talking about? These things testify and all of that. Well, here there, there's some different thoughts on the meaning of this, actually. Uh, one thought on the water and the blood, especially because of what's going on in First John with the physical uh, nature of Christ, this huge argument about that. Uh, there is an argument that would say the water and the blood, the testimony of them was... When the spear, when Jesus is on the cross and the soldier comes up with a spear to see if he's really dead, right? And the water and the blood flow out to show that he was really physically dead, not asleep. And he wasn't just a spirit form or something like that, right? Well, some people think that that's the testimony of the water and the blood. Others, which I think I would tend to lean towards more, would say that the water and the blood are actually two different times of God the Father 
testifying of his son. And one would be the water at the baptism of Christ by John the Baptist, where he went into the water and was baptized. And then you have this, you know, the voice of God from the heavens saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, you know, who I love. And that, right? So that's that testifying of the father of who Christ is. And then you would have at his death, which would be the blood, you have at that moment where he actually dies, where everything, you know, just goes intense, where the darkness comes and graves are opened and people coming back to life and an earthquake is shaking. And then the veil in the temple is torn to have that, that testify, that testimony of God that says that now the way to God has been opened up. It is no longer through this whole priestly system and all of that, right? And so that's that testimony of the blood of the Father. And then the third would be that, that testimony then of the Spirit. Okay, where the Spirit testifies. The Spirit gives us assurance. The Spirit helps us to know. The Spirit helps us to know what the Scripture says, to, to, really, to really know what it says. The Scripture gives us that peace because the Spirit is truth. Okay? So that's where you have this testimony, this testifying of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Okay, so it takes us then, we, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe that he died and took all of the sins of the world and the wrath of God upon himself, and then we believe in his resurrection, and that eternal life is only found in Jesus, okay? We believe that because that's the, the crux, right? Everything matters, it all matters, it matters that Jesus is the Son of God, it matters that he died, but... If he died and he didn't come back to life again, we would not have hope. There would not be power in Christ, that power of the resurrection that we could trust in and we can have hope in. We can have confidence and assurance in his power and his might and not our own, that he took all of that sin, all of that wrath upon himself, and that we know then that he had victory over it. He didn't just take it, he defeated it. He defeated sin, he defeated death, and now we overcome because of that war that he won at the resurrection. So we believe, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And so without, you know, here's the thing, like, good people need Jesus as much as bad people, okay? Good people need Jesus as much as bad people. Without Jesus, we're all bad people, okay? There's no good people without Jesus. We have to have Jesus. So it doesn't matter if there's nice people out there. I mean, we're happy that they're nice. But it's actually much more dangerous to be nice than to be this wicked sinner. Because you think you're good, right? You think you're, you're fine. It's the struggle I have with people in my family. There's some super close people in my family to me that are really awesome, you know? He, like, <laughs> Do you have those people? I, sorry, I gotta move forward there for a moment. Uh, it's my brother, you know? And he's awesome. <laughs> he's a really good person. But he doesn't know Jesus. He's chosen to not believe in Jesus, actually. Very deliberately. And it's hard, right? 
it's, he's much harder to convince than the person that's in the gutter, you know? And, and it's hard, but it's the truth. It's a very inconvenient truth. <laughs> um, but we, we got to know that it's true whether we want it to be true or not. I don't want it to be true, right? Like my flesh, my, my, my de- sort of fleshly desire in that is for that to not be true. But it is. No matter how much that is hard, it's true. And I've spent a lot of time and I've had experienced some massive rejection with, with my attempts to talk to him about Christ. But... You know, I still want us to, to be, we need to be people who are willing to walk that road with folks, to be bold, to be brave. And that's like, that's why we have these sorts of opportunities, like this whole Alpha Course thing that Tim was talking about, that we've been doing these last few years, where it is this chance to have that person that you know who has questions, who has doubts. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have doubts about the foundational things of who Christ is. And it's such a cool uh, course that you, because of how you can come and you hear some basic teaching, but then you sit around a table and you talk about it. And it's very open. You can say anything. You can say anything that you would think would be crazy or whatever or harsh about God. Anything. And anything is welcome to be discussed. And so it's a great place to be able to talk that through. And so I just we want to encourage you to take advantage of the beautiful opportunity that it is to bring people to something like that. And then if they're just somebody that would never come to that or they'd never come to church or something, uh, this is, that's why the Harvest Crusade exists. It's something maybe they'd come to a big event. And so we'd want to encourage you that, you know, that's next weekend. If you want to go take somebody to the Harvest Crusade that needs to hear about Jesus, maybe they see a big concert and listen to a great gospel message. So we encourage you to be a part of something like that. If you need details, just Google Harvest Crusade. It'll all be there. Check it out. We, we want to be people who then don't just believe these things, that about Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died and he rose again. But we speak it. We tell people. We share that good news. It's great news. And so we want to share that with others because we have overcome. And it's, it's awesome, right? It's great that we have overcome. It's a celebration that we have overcome. It's overcome. This Greek word, nikeo, is actually, it's used three times in just two verses here in this passage. And it's the same root word as Nike, okay? So we all know the whole Nike shoes thing. Long before Phil Knight had Nike shoes, it was uh, the Greek goddess Nike is who that's named after. In case you just had no idea, many people probably don't. But the Greek goddess of victory is Nike. And in, the, in, the Greek, in Greek mythology, it's the, the Greek goddess Nike who then helps Zeus have victory over the Titans. And that's why uh, she is this goddess of victory. And what's so interesting is that uh, in Ephesus, which is where 1 John is written to, is Ephesus and the regions surrounding it in what's modern-day Turkey, is that you have uh, in Ephesus this huge facade that was uh, of this Greek goddess Nike. And I just imagine in the, the backdrop of John's words here, you have this Greek goddess Nike of victory. And he starts using this word Nike, this root word really, to speak of Jesus in his gospel, he speaks of Jesus as the great overcomer. It's Jesus' words, where Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation. This is one of those passages, too, to remember. When you become a Christian, 
It's not like if you have tribulation, it's when, right? It's like you are going to have struggle. You are going to have hard times still in this life as a follower of Jesus. But he says, take courage. I have overcome the world. I am the victor. Not Nike, not these Greek gods, not you. I am the victor. But then he even speaks to us that we can have that same kind of victory, a victory that's like the gods in their backdrop of these mythological gods. And he says, no, Jesus is the one, and through him, we then can be victors as well, okay? We can have that victory. And even Paul speaks of the same word, which is actually huper nikeo, this Greek word, to overwhelmingly conquer when he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just kind of this uber victory, right? Super victory. It's victory beyond any kind of normal sense of victory. It's the greatest victory that we can have is in Christ. He has overcome the world. Through him, we can then overcome as well. And then even in Revelation 12, which is again written by John, okay, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. So we overcome. John's speaking into this same region of the world with all these writings saying, no, it's not these Greek gods. This is not, this is, this, these do not have the victory. We have the victory in Christ and in Christ alone. So I want to ask some questions here then, quickly. That, that within this, how do you find out then if you have this right belief? Right? How do you know whether or not you have this right belief? I would say, first you consider, do I believe that list of three things, right? Do I believe that Jesus the son of god do i believe that he died and do i believe that he rose again right do i have that do i believe that or do i think that's a sham you know i mean stop there if you think it's a sham okay then next it it, are these following actions are are true about you to display that right belief okay that our works our life with christ our walk with christ displays the right beliefs that we have that we would love God, we love his people, and we are obedient to his word. Okay? We love God, we love people, and we're obedient to his word. And, and here, there's a, there's a difference that we have to understand, and we have to get real with ourselves about here. There's a difference between what, for, for now, I'll call an ideal and a value. Okay? An ideal would be where you say, you know, you say that you are an environmentalist, but it feels kind of like a lot of work to sort the the things in the recycling, so you just kind of don't bother. You know, that's an ideal. You could say you value being an environmentalist, but if you just, if you're too lazy to sort your trash from your recycling, no, you're not. You don't value it. It's an ideal to you, okay? Or if you say that you value hard work and your job and you love your, your job and, and that is of high value to you. But, you know, most of the time you're kind of napping and maybe kind of scrolling around on Facebook when you're at work. It for you is an ideal, right? Hard work is not of value to you. And so then we would look at our faith and we would say, We value, we believe that Jesus is God, that he died and rose again. 
but you know what? Kind of doing any of that feels like a little too much, you know, or that's going to make me fanatical to actually do the things it says in the Bible. You know, for you then, that has become an ideal rather than a value. And so when we want to evaluate our belief, if our belief has no action connected to it, then perhaps our belief is not real, okay? Perhaps we do not even have belief. We have an ideal. We think nice things about being a follower of Jesus. We think it sounds good and we think it's what we're supposed to do. And maybe we do it because we're in a family that always has. But I would say to you that you need to have actions that display the saving work that's already taken place. Those actions, those works do not save you, but they are necessary to be evident to display the faith that you already have. Okay, it's like belief also, Doug talked about this some back in June, but the word even this, this concept of belief in the first century and even before, the concept, they would never separate belief and action. It's kind of, it's absurd. And it's equally absurd today, but it's, it's absurd to think that you could believe something but not act then upon what you believe. It just was an assumption that, oh, of course, if you believe it, then you would act on it. Even the Hebrew understanding of faith was really more faithfulness. There was faithfulness connected to their faith. You wouldn't have faith without faithfulness. And so that's why you read things like in the book of James, where in James 2.17, he says, faith without works is dead, right? That's why it speaks like that, because faith without works isn't real. And so we need to then see what does that look like? And so we, we see that it's, we want to overcome, we overcome with what it says in the passage, by love for God and others. It says, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Okay, now, so it's like if you love God, you love his kids, right? So, of course, you love Jesus, but you love all of us together here, right? We love one another. We're God's kids. We got to love each other. And a lot of times in the house, brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters or brothers and brothers have the hardest time loving each other, right? It's hard, and so we can fight. But we got to know that we have to have love for one another, that loving people is this core way that we display our love for God. Those two, those are the two greatest commandments, right? Jesus says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with everything, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's the core of what that means. And then, so you think, how do we love people? Just brief reminders, because we've talked about love a lot. Even Matt Doan talked about this just, you know, just recently. So we love people. We consider love is an action, Love is, it's not just talk. Love is selfless. Love is sacrificial. Love is godly. You know, it's the things that God would say are love. That's what love is. Love is hard work. Love builds up. Love speaks truth. It's not overly like just meek and and giving up all the time in in that sort of bad sense. But love does need to speak truth at times. And love is vulnerable. Love is intimate. These are the things that, that love is, that the kind of love we have with God, the kind of love we have with one another. So loving God and loving people is core. And then we love, it says, by obedience to the word of God. 
We love God by being obedient to his word. This is such a good passage, right? 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It even says in uh, 1 John 2, 3. So just a couple chapters before. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Pretty clear, right? Not a confusing verse to get into the historical context and the language and all that, right? It's pretty straight ahead. By this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. I was just, really briefly, I was just talking to Floyd MacArthur. Floyd MacArthur, by the way, is an awesome man of God, wise. You should all listen to his teaching at some point. Uh, I just really respect him a lot. And he said, oh, I'm excited about your message. And he's got this thing. It says, John's threefold card of assurance of salvation that we can know by our walk, just like what we're talking about right here, our obedience. Uh, we can know by the Spirit, like we've talked about the Spirit already testifying, you know, giving us that assurance in our heart. And we can know by the Word. We can know by the Word of God. Okay, so that three, uh, threefold cord of assurance of our salvation is a great way for us to remember and hold on to that. And that three, uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? That can be strong. You can have confidence in God. And so then, uh, just as we consider this, this obedience to the Word of God, we have to be obedient to His Word. We have to have it in the right order, the right order of these things, okay? Um, there's uh, a couple guys, there's three up here on the screen. We got John and Charles Wesley on the left, and then this guy, uh, Asbury on the right. We're just going to talk about John and Charles for now, but if you know, the, the Wesleys were the founders of the whole Methodist church movement. And uh, back, this is 1738, that around when this story took place, okay? Now, for whatever, you know, a lot of different Methodist churches have kind of strayed off into some different sorts of beliefs and things. But these guys were, you know, these guys had it straight and uh, on a lot of things. And what was interesting, though, about them, John and Charles were being sent, they were sent to Georgia at the time as really leaders in the church and going as missionaries to, to Georgia to preach the gospel. And while they're there, uh, them and their friend named William Holland, they were reading um, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And it was just hammering that you can do nothing to earn God's love over and over. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, to earn God's love. Nothing. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And they were kind of like struggling with it because they'd set up this whole thing, Methodist, right? They set up this whole thing where everything had to have a proper methodological order of things. And you had to do these certain actions and these certain methods, right, to live out your Christian faith. But they, as they were reading it, this one friend of theirs, he said he was, he actually, as an already missionary and leader, was saved through reading it. He didn't, he thought that he, and then also then, um, John Wesley said he as well believed that he was not truly saved before this point where he came to believe that he had put his faith in his works. He had put his faith in the methods instead of in Christ alone and had this moment as a Christian leader and evangelist and missionary of saying, I think I just got saved, you know? 
And uh, it's awesome, I think, that he was willing to say that and write that for our benefit because that's why we can't get the order wrong. We have to have all of this in the right way because we have to have the faith, the grace and the faith first, then the works come out of that. And the, the works are absolutely necessary, but if they come first, it's like a, a form of godliness that has no power, right? It's having a form of godliness that has no power. And here's the thing, self-righteousness is just as displeasing to God as unrighteousness. Who are the ones that Jesus had the bigger problem with when he was here on earth? Was it the self-righteous or the unrighteous? I would venture to say, obviously, that it was the self-righteous. It were the Pharisees that were struggling with saying that all of these actions and methods are what you got to be about, where Jesus is saying, you know, these are seeing these people coming and bowing at his feet that are prostitutes and sinners and just weeping and washing his feet with their tears and their hair. And these folks who come with admitting their, their brokenness and their unrighteousness Those are the ones that he's welcoming into the kingdom of God. That the answer for us is not legalism. It's also not lawlessness. It's love. Okay? Love of Christ. We can't be people that say, all right, well, we got to do everything and just get everything right and, you know, save yourself on the legalism end. But we shouldn't pendulum swing as many have done in our culture today and said, therefore, lawlessness, who cares? And I think a lot of people of our younger generations have seen legalism and then not wanted legalism and have gone to lawlessness. But whereas the answer is love and the answer is Jesus and that Jesus is God and God is love and Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so Jesus is love personified and shown, you know, for us to see what does that mean? What does that look like? For us to be loving. Because again, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Again, written by John, right here, the words of Christ He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So we show our love. We show the love that should already be true about ourselves, our faith in God, right? We display that through our actions. Love isn't the feeling, it's the obedience. The obedience, you know, can't come first, or the obedience is powerless. And obedience, you know, these are some of those things. Making disciples, giving, baptism, sharing our faith. You know, the things James talks about, true religion, is you know, caring for the orphan and the widow and keeping oneself unstained from the world, okay? Fleeing sin, forgiving others, loving others. These actions are the actions of obedience of a list of many, right, that we can have. Some are, are ones that we want to flee from, that we want to not do, and then a lot that we want to then do. These are the acts of obedience, to flee from sin and to do good works, So we have to get the order right. Let's get the order right today. And let's not be shy about preaching a message and sharing a message that it is Jesus alone. It is the grace of God alone that saves us. 
And may we not be a church that starts to get into being nice and kind and doing good works because we think that would then save us. Because it doesn't. These works are powerless without the Spirit of God already dwelling within us. The answer isn't legalism. The answer isn't lawlessness. The answer is love. And Jesus is that love. And so how we want to respond to that today, we want to respond to that today with repentance. Okay? Repentance. We're going to have a time of worship now, a time where we're able to sing a a few more songs, a time to pray, a time to consider, even after the service, to be able to come pray with folks. But I want you to consider your life. And what is it that you need to repent of? Because repentance, remember, is we're walking towards sin. Repentance is to turn away and to walk towards God. Okay, that's as a picture of repentance for us. Some of us might need to repent of our unrighteous acts. Okay, we need to repent of what we would typically think of as sin. But then maybe some of us need to repent of our righteous acts that we think save us. Repenting of our our good works. Repenting of our acts of righteousness that have come from wrong motives. That we think are earning favor with God. When it should be displaying the love of God that's already within. And, And out of that kind of power. So I encourage us to have some time in this worship time of examination of ourselves and to repent to God of whether that's our acts of unrighteousness or our acts of righteousness, that either one of those, when they're not in the, the right place, are sin. So let's, let's pray and surrender that to God today. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we... We come before you and we thank you for the clarity of your word and the way that you show us in scriptures like this that these concepts aren't aren't up for grabs. They're not a question. That you save alone, Jesus. It's a gift of God. I pray that we would remember that and remember to receive that gift of grace both for our salvation, Lord, and then also for life every day. May we minister to others out of grace, out of your grace for us. May we receive your grace in a new way today and repent of anything that we are doing that is sinful. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.